Good morning, everyone. Hey, that was a good, hearty good morning. If you would please turn to Galatians chapter 3. We're going to be starting in verse 10 today. Again, Galatians chapter 3, we're going to be reading verses 10 through 14. This is God's word. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather. The one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Let's pray. Father, you are the Lord of all things. You are holy and righteous. You are true in all that you do. You are good in all that you do. Father, you are gracious and merciful and loving. Lord, we come before you today confessing our sinfulness, our weakness. Lord, that... Uh, So often we know what is right and yet fail. And so we cast our hope to you. We cast our gaze to Christ as our only hope. And Father, today we come before you as uh, dependent people. Lord, we are dependent on your spirit to use your word. You would use your word to uh, save sinners and to build up your people. We pray that you would do this, that you would show the glory of your power in doing so. We pray for us that you would help us uh, to receive your word in faith. That we would trust that uh, the Bible truly is your word spoken to us. Lord, we uh, come before you again as needy people, dependent on your grace. And we thank you that you are a God of infinite grace. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. The most important question we can try to answer is, how can sinful man be in right relationship with holy God? Again, one of the most important questions we can try to answer is, how can sinful man be in right relationship with holy God? In this passage before us, we see that the Apostle Paul sets forth two ways that man tries to be in right relationship with God. We see on one hand, this first way presented to us is through obedience uh, to God's law. That is, a person tries to have right relationship with God through what they do. The second path 
that Paul lays before us here is faith in the gospel. That is, we have right relationship with God through resting in what Christ has done. These two paths, again, one uh, through law, through what we do, the other through gospel, through what Christ has done. These two ways show us uh, two ways, uh, two paths that sinful man tries to take to have right relationship with God. These two paths show us two ways that sinful man tries to be saved. Understanding these two ways of salvation is a matter of life and death. It's a matter of blessing and curse. It's a matter of eternal life and everlasting torment. As such, it's important that we understand and we're able to explain the differences between these two paths. It's important that we're clear that salvation is only through faith in what Christ has done. And it's never through what sinful man does. And so with that in mind, let's go back to our text again. Galatians chapter 3 verse 10. The first path we're going to look at is salvation by the law in your notes there. Question mark. <laughs> for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. So, coming to this passage, it's important that we understand that in the previous verses, uh, Paul has just explained that in the past, God had preached the good news of justification by faith to Abraham. That is, that man is saved, man is put into a right relationship with God through faith in Christ. And Paul does this in contrast to the Judaizers of the day. These were those who had uh, come along to the Gentile Christians and said, hey, yeah, faith in Christ is, is great, but you also need to be circumcised. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to obey the ceremonial law, all these uh, sort of things. And, and Paul is arguing against that. He says, uh, it's not by the law. It's through faith. And again, we, we have these two pathway, pathways before us, these two ways of salvation. One is through what we do, the law. The other is by resting in what Christ has done, what he did. And so the question we need to ask as we encounter these two paths, pathways, we need to ask ourselves, are both of these pathways viable options? Are they workable options for sinful people? Can sinners be saved through what they do as much as sinners can be saved through what Christ has done? Paul says in verse 10, no. These aren't both workable options. That all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. In other words, if a person tries to be in right relationship with God, based upon what they do, they're cursed. They're not saved. They're not in right relationship with God. And so we have this, this idea of blessing and curse. What does that mean? What does it mean to be cursed? 
Put simply, uh, to be cursed is to be the opposite of blessed. Right? The difference between these two, the difference between blessing and cursing, is not found in having many good things in your life. Right? It's not found in material possessions. One can have very much in this life. You could have a Maserati, a big house, nice family, food on the table, and yet still be under the curse. On the other hand, you can have very little in this life, barely scraping by, not having much in this world, and yet be richly blessed. You see, the difference between blessing and cursing is not in how many possessions we have. Instead, the difference between blessing and cursing is found in our relationship with God. True blessing is to have God's favor upon you. To have Him smiling down upon you. That His gracious goodness would be poured out upon you beyond measure forever. True blessing is being able to see and enjoy the glory of God and experience Him as your Father. On the other hand, to be cursed is to have God's condemnation upon you. To have God's frown upon you. That His righteous judgment would be poured out upon you beyond measure forever. To be cursed is to see and hate the glory of God. And to be before Him as a criminal, before a just judge. Paul says that all who try to be saved by the law, by what they do, are cursed. Are under God's righteous condemnation for sin. And that begs the question, I think. Why, why is it that those who try to enter into right relationship with God by trying to obey Him, why are those people cursed? Shouldn't God bless them for trying to keep the law? Well, Paul goes on in verse 10, and he tells us why. He says, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. You see, to be in right relationship with God through the law, you need to obey all things in the law and abide in it. In other words, the obedience that a perfect God requires is perfect obedience and continual obedience, ongoing obedience. If you want to be in right relationship with God through your obedience to the law, if you want to enjoy His blessing through your doing, then you must keep the law perfectly, past, present, and future. One look at the greatest commandment in the Bible should dispel any myth that we can do this. Matthew 22, Jesus tells us that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. To be in right relationship with God, to have His blessing upon us through obedience to the law, we would need to keep this commandment perfectly and continually. We would need to love God with all of who we are, every moment of every day. None, with the exception of Christ, 
have obeyed this commandment for a single moment of any day. God does not grade on a curve. God does not wink at sin and pronounce, boys will be boys. God is not some apathetic old man up in the sky who doesn't care whether we sin or not. God is holy. He's righteous. He's good. He hates evil. He's angry with the wicked every day. Psalm 7. And we must confess that apart from Christ and His work, we are all wicked. We all deserve God's anger. And it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's critical that we understand that no one is justified. No one is made right before God by the law. This first way to salvation is impossible for sinful man. But we don't end there. It would be a pretty crummy week if we ended there, huh? We don't end there. With this uh, first way of salvation closed before us, the pathway blocked by our own sin, that puts us in a position to turn our gaze to the other pathway that Paul sets before us. If our very best efforts still leave us under the curse of God, how can we be saved? Paul declares, the righteous shall live by faith. Sinful man can only be in right relationship with holy God by resting in what Christ has done. And so we turn our attention to this second path, salvation by the gospel. Again, the first pathway closed before us. Let's read verses 13 and 14. Hear these glorious words. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. That is glorious. Here, these glorious words of gospel truth that the Apostle Paul brings us. How can the enemies of God become his children? How can those who deserve the curse receive blessing? How can sinful man be made right with holy God through faith in Christ alone? Christ redeemed his people. He purchased his people from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for them. Christ, God in the flesh, the one who perfectly obeyed the law every moment of his life, took upon himself the curse for our rebellion. He became the curse for us. He experienced the condemnation for sin. He took upon himself the righteous judgment for sin. For the first time in eternity, he experienced the displeasure of the Father. He was forsaken by the Father and experienced Him as if He were a criminal before a judge. This is why Christ cries out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
He bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. He was stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. The perfect, spotless Lamb of God chose to be slaughtered to purchase sinful sheep. He who was perfectly good experienced the judgment for those who are thoroughly wicked. The one who has been proclaimed as holy, holy, holy for all of time was condemned as sinful, sinful, sinful. He did this. He chose this. So that in him, in Christ, the blessing promised to Abraham might come to sinful people of every tribe, tongue, and nation. Amazing grace. He who was perfectly obedient was cursed so that the disobedient might be blessed. O Christ, what burdens bow thy head? Our load was laid on thee. You stood in the sinner's stead, did bear all ill for me. A victim led, your blood was shed, now there's no load for me. Death and the curse were in our cup. O Christ, it was full for thee. But you have drained the last dark drop, it's empty now for me. That bitter cup, love drank it up. Now blessings are for me. Because of Christ's work, all those who are in him are no longer under the curse of God. Christ experienced the curse for us. Instead, all those who are in Christ are under the full blessing of God and are in right relationship with him. Christ obeyed for us. How can sinful man be found in Christ? How can we enjoy these benefits, these blessings that Christ has earned? How do we receive the blessings of Christ in his promised spirit? Paul says, through faith. Faith in what? Faith in the gospel. Faith in the good news of Christ and his finished work. Faith in Christ is the means that God uses to unite us to Christ, that we might be found in Christ, that we might have his righteousness and all the blessings found in him. How can sinful man be made, uh, how can sinful man be in right relationship with holy God? Through faith in Christ alone. While traveling in the wilderness, the Israelites complained against God. They, they had just been saved out of Egypt, saved out of the bondage there. God had graciously provided for their needs. And what do they do? They complain against them. They say, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water. And we loathe this worthless food. Which I think is funny because they said there's no food and water. And then they say we loathe this food that you've given us. But the Israelites here said that God's goodness towards them was evil. God responded to them ju justly by cursing them. He sent poisonous serpents to judge them. 
The people, recognizing their sin, what do they do? They pray. They ask God to take away this curse that they have deserved, that they have earned. And how does God provide salvation from the curse? This curse that they deserve. He has Moses make this pole, right? With, a, with this bronze serpent on top of it. And Moses is to lift it up. The serpent, the very image of the curse, the very representation of the curse. And the Israelites were to, to look upon that bronze serpent. And all who did would live. Christ is that bronze serpent. He was lifted upon that pole of a cross and became the curse so that all who look upon him will be saved from the curse of their sin. You need only to look to him. You and I, you see, we can't cure this venom of sin that courses through our veins. We can't turn the curse for our sin into the blessing of God. Only Christ can do that. And Christ does that for all those who look to him. And I imagine in a room this size, there's probably someone here who is still under the curse of sin. You've relied upon your works, relied upon your doings, instead of Christ's work. Dear person, you who are still under the curse of your sin, understand what sin's poison will do to you. Feel the weight of your sin before a holy God. See the wickedness of your sin and understand what you deserve. Feel that weight. Feel that guilt. And then take your gaze off of yourself, your sinfulness. And gaze upon the one who became a curse for you. Look to Christ. Be cured from the curse. Rest in Christ's finished work and enjoy the blessing that he has obtained. You need him. You are eternally lost without him. And for all those who look to him, you are eternally secure in him. So far, we've looked at two ways of salvation. One, through what we do. We saw that all of those who who try this way to be saved are under the curse. The second way of salvation is through what Christ has done. This, we see, is the only way of salvation for those who believe on him. Now, at this point, someone might ask, well, can a person be saved by somehow mixing these two? Right? Can we mix law and faith in Christ? Can I be be saved by what Christ has done and what I do? Can we make a third way somehow of salvation? Well, Paul gives us the answer in verse 12. He says, But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Paul is saying here that to uh, try to obey the law to be saved 
is to not have faith in Christ. They're mutually exclusive. You can't mix them together. If you try to mix them together, you're just, again, you're trying to be saved by the law. There's not a third path here. These, these ways of salvation, these, these, these paths before us are like oil and water. You can't put your faith in, in, in what Christ has done and in what you do. If you put your faith in what you do or what you've done, you're not truly resting on what Christ has done. Uh, for example, it's a commonly used illustration, but the illustration of a, of a, a chair, right, for saving faith, that you, you rest in the chair and uh, in the same way that we saving faith is resting in Christ and he's able to uphold us. Well, imagine I have a chair behind me and I'm like this. My bottom's touching the chair. I'm putting my faith in Christ. But if you were to pull that chair under me, would I still be like this? Give me an answer because my legs are getting tired. <laughs> I'd still be up, upright, right? I'm not really resting in the chair. I'm resting in my legs. And when we, when we try to make this third weird option, where, yeah, I'll, I'll touch my bottom on the chair, but I'm really, I'm not really putting my faith in the chair. And so we can't have both. It's one or the other. So much so that uh, when, when I sit in the chair, when I plop down after a long day, though I sit for most of the day, <laughs> let's just say I was outside working for once, and I plop down, I am so resting in this chair that if that chair were to fail, I would fall on my face. So too, for the Christian, our only hope is in Christ. So much so that if he were to not be sufficient, if his, if his work on the cross was not enough, we would fall into the depths of hell. And yet, his work is enough. His work is sufficient. He is sturdy to uphold the chiefest of sinners. Again, you cannot put your faith in Christ and. You cannot put your faith in Christ and the Jewish ceremonial law. You cannot put your faith in Christ and in acts of penance. You cannot put your faith in Christ and the ability of purgatory to cleanse your remaining sin. You cannot put your faith in Christ and your own righteous deeds to uh, earn glorification. You know, today there are a lot of people that claim to believe and teach the gospel. Catholics, Mormons, prosperity gospel teachers, they all say they believe the gospel. We need to be clear on what the gospel is. Just because someone says they believe the gospel doesn't mean that they believe the gospel. The gospel, listen, the gospel is the good news of the salvation that Jesus has accomplished for sinners who place their faith in him. It's complete. The gospel is what Christ has done, what he has finished. It is not what we do. The law is what we do. The law is good. The law is good. The Ten Commandments, that's a reflection of God's goodness. We, uh, those are good things. But the law cannot save us. 
It points us to our need for someone to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. I see, I go through that, those Ten Commandments. I haven't honored my father and mother the way that I ought to. I haven't respected authority in the way that I should. I haven't not coveted someone else's possessions. I haven't worshipped God in the way that I should. It shows me I need someone who actually obeyed those things for me and who died for my disobedience. We need to be careful to declare both the law, what we do, what we should do, and the gospel. But we dare not mix them together. Because if we mix them together, we lose the gospel. We'll still have law, but we lose the gospel. God's law is good. It tells us what is good. And when handled rightly, it points us to our need for the gospel. The gospel is good. It's the good news of Christ providing the salvation we cannot earn. The gospel in light of the law shows us the grace and love that God has shown us in Christ. That then fosters, when I, when I see that great grace that God has shown me, that then fosters a greater love in the Christian's heart for God. So that I actually uh, more and more want to obey God's law. I'm motivated to obey God's law, not to earn His favor, not to earn salvation, but because I have both of those things because of what Christ has done. The two, when handled properly, work together. But we dare not confuse them. And we need to proclaim both. It's important that we understand law and gospel, not just for our sake, but for the sake of those around us. Some of you have already heard this story. This is my uh, awkward evangelism story. And uh, back when I was in California, I was working at Starbucks paying through college and so on and so forth. And I got off work, and I, I looked across the parking lot, and I saw this guy waiting for, for the, the city bus. And uh, it was an older guy, he had a cane, and I just felt a burden for him. i got to share the gospel with this guy. And so I went over, I was trying to get to him, but he got on the bus, and so I did what any rational person would do. I got in my car, and I, I followed the bus. <laughs> Is Richard here? Okay. <laughs> I followed the bus, and I uh, kept waiting for him to get off on the bus stops. I followed the bus for about 15 minutes. It was in a different city entirely. Finally, the guy got off the bus, thankfully. I was like, did I miss him? Am I just going to keep going around the city here? But he got off the bus, and I, uh, there's nowhere to park. It's a busy street, and so I, 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 uh, I turned off into a parking lot, World Market. They have World Market out here, right? Okay, yeah. Parked in the parking lot, and I saw him. He was crossing the crosswalk. And so I said, okay, I, I, I waited for the crosswalk for the guy, you know, the, the guy on the sign to tell me it's okay to walk. And he showed up, as he usually does. And I, I crossed the crosswalk. He went into McDonald's. So I went into McDonald's. And as I went into McDonald's, he was coming out of McDonald's. And so I followed him out of McDonald's. He went back across the crosswalk. I went back across the crosswalk. And uh, he went into some neighborhood, and I finally tracked him down. Say, hey, how's that breath? Hey, 
can I pray for you, for you about anything? And he said, no. And so I said, all right, Jesus loves you. And then I, I, I left. <laughs> I didn't share the gospel with that man. Please don't tell Richard. <laughs> the gospel is not Jesus loves you, period. The gospel is not asking Jesus into your heart to be saved. The gospel is not praying a sinner's prayer to be saved. The gospel is not making Jesus your Lord and Savior. Some of these perhaps are responses to the gospel, but they are not the gospel themselves. The gospel is that Jesus is the Lord and that Jesus is the Savior of all those who see their need for Him and put their faith in Him. The gospel is who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and the saving response is to believe and to rest in Him. Why is this important? Well, I'm concerned that there are many that we we know and love in our community perhaps or elsewhere who have a false assurance of salvation because of something that they've done. They believe that they're good with God because they asked Jesus into their heart when they were four. Or perhaps they made a response at an altar call. Or they went to church and were baptized when they were a kid. They're relying on something that they did instead of what Christ did. I'm also concerned that there are many who have little assurance of salvation because of something they've done or haven't done or haven't done right. Christian, listen. Your assurance of salvation is not found in you and your works. Your assurance of salvation is only found in Christ. If you're looking to yourself for some sort of assurance, you're going to be tossed to and fro. You're still a sinner. So look outside of yourself and look to Christ. That is where our assurance is found. His work is abundantly sufficient. He became the curse for you so that you might have the full favor and blessing of God. It is finished because He finished it. So look to Him. Rest in Him. When you sin, look to Him and rest in Him. When you fall short, Look to Him and rest in Him. We need to be careful not to muddle the gospel. It is the most precious truth that we have as a church. We need to be careful not to mix the law and gospel. To not mix what Christ has done with what we do to be made right with God. To, to proclaim a gospel a mixture of law and gospel. To proclaim a gospel is to present damnation to the unbeliever and despair, or perhaps even worse, self-righteousness to the true child of God. Whereas the true gospel is the promise of life and hope to all who believe. Let us be those who proclaim the law and gospel without mixture. The law is not of faith. We hold up the righteous standard of God, the law, and we show each other our utter failure to keep it. 
From there, we show each other our need for a Savior, and we turn our gaze to Christ, who is the only righteous lawkeeper, who is the one who exchanges the curse we deserve for the blessing that he earned through the redemption that he accomplished. In conclusion, how can sinful man be in right relationship with holy God? What must sinful man do to be saved? In this passage, Paul, again, sets before us two options, two pathways. Salvation by the law, through what we do, or salvation by the gospel, through what Christ has done. Paul shows us that we cannot be saved by the law. We cannot be made right with God through what we do. And so let's not look to our efforts to be saved. Let's look to Christ and rest in what he has done. And as we do, we can be assured that our salvation is complete in him. It is finished. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands, Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All could never sin a race. Thou must save and save by grace. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Christian, cross-clinger, there is no more wrath left for your sin. Jesus paid it all. You have perfect righteousness in your account before God. Jesus earned it all. What you enjoy now is the full blessing and favor of God. You are abundantly blessed in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the full counsel of your word. Thank you that you don't leave us in in the dark, that you show us what is truly good. You show us what you require, that you require perfection, that you are perfect, that you are good. And we are not. We are sinners. We have rebelled against you at every turn. You tell us what we should do and... We disobey. Lord, we confess that you are holy and righteous. We confess that every sin of ours deserves eternal torment. Because you're just. Because you're good. You hate evil. Lord, we see our guilt before you. And we see Christ. That Christ is our only hope. That Christ's work on the cross is sufficient for even us. That Christ accomplished our salvation. That through Christ we have his full righteousness. Because he took the curse for us. Because he lived perfectly, we have the full blessing. Lord, I pray that you would help us to continue to plunge the depths of your grace. We would see how merciful and gracious you've been to us, not because of anything in us, but simply because of you. 
and your choosing. We pray, Father, that this would motivate us to want to obey the law. As Christians, that we would see that we are safe and secure in Christ, that we have your full favor and blessing in Christ. May we, like little children learning to walk, step out and try to obey. And when we inevitably stumble and fall, we would look to Christ again and see that your grace is sufficient uh, for all of our sins. Father, I pray that you would help us to, to have these categories clear in our mind, law and gospel, what we do and what Christ has done. We pray that you would help us to point the lost to the righteous demands of your law, that we would show them their guilt before you, and that we would be quick to then point them to the gospel, to what Christ has done. We pray that you would use us, Lord, uh, by your grace, that we would have a heart for the lost, that we would uh, share these great truths with the lost, seeing that they need to hear these things. They need to look to Christ. We pray that we would be motivated to do that. Lord, thank you. Help us to not be like the Israelites, complaining, but that we would be grateful for your infinite grace and mercy toward us. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If uh, you would like to, to pray with someone today, there will be a prayer couple up here. I'd encourage you, if, if today you felt the weight of your sin, and you look to Christ today, talk to these people up here. Listen to this, Christian, this is the blessing that you have in Christ. The Lord is blessing you and keeping you. The Lord's face shines upon you, and he is gracious towards you. The Lord has his countenance upon you and gives you peace. Thank you. You're dismissed.